Hey everyone, this is Jason Blevins, and thanks for listening to Next Level Skiing, where we explore every possible tip, hack, and strategy that can crank our skiing up a notch. Today, I'm talking with Alan Tran. Alan marries sports nutrition with some serious chops in the kitchen as the head chef and high-performance dietitian for the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team. He travels the world with the country's top winter athletes, buoying their performance and morale with fresh-made meals that balance just the right amounts of carbs, proteins, and fats. So load up as Alan shares insights on how to convert regular meals into powder-slaying power and tips for sustaining that energy across several snowy days. Alan's work with the best can easily help us aspiring shredders find ways to use food to push our skiing to the next level. Hey everybody, this is Jason Blevins. Welcome back to Next Level Skiing. Today, we have Alan Tran, the high-performance dietitian and chef for the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team. For the last six years, Alan has toured the world exploring remote grocery stores and strange kitchens to keep U.S. Olympic athletes performing at their best. Thanks for joining us today, Alan. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So walk us through your sort of start. How did you get started with the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team? Oh, it's fascinating. Um, I think this position is great because it really melds my two my, my two skill sets. I'm, you know, went to school to be a chef and worked in the culinary industry for years, um, kind of honing that kind of culinary taste, uh, my skill set. But then going back to school and getting my master's degree in uh, sports nutrition and exercise physiology and I get to cook on the road, but also apply um, sports nutrition uh, principles and help our athletes uh, get the best diet for their specific sport and their demands and hoping to get them to the podium. So you travel with the teams to all sorts of remote locations. Let's talk. We'll talk a little bit about maybe how your cooking varies as you move from different teams, from, say, the cross-country team to the alpine team. But here, here you are in Copper. You're setting up shop in that in that food court there uh, at the base of the training center. And what kind of food are you cooking for folks and how varied does it have to be? Do you range from vegetarian and vegan all the way to burgers or walk us yeah, through that, a typical typical meal? That is exactly right. Like we have varying skill levels, different diets. My work here is applied in November, but there's a lot of preparation that we do in the summer in terms of sitting down one-on-one -on -one and doing consults and seeing what the goals are for the year. Are they recovering from injury? Are they trying to build muscle? Um, are they trying to just gain weight so they can come down the uh, mountain faster? Or are they just trying to get healthier because they have immune uh, issues in the past year? So there's specific goals that we want to attack. We address those and do tests during the summer, and then we actually put it into action right now in November on actual snow. So there's a lot going on. And some of these athletes um, are experimenting with diets that have worked for them potentially uh, vegetarian diets or the, the FODMAP diet, which is to reduce um, GI issues to simply just eating more protein to gain muscle. So you can get really complex, nitty-gritty, but it could also just be in general, um, general health uh, for athletic performance. Nice. And what, what's, uh, what are some of the foods you're preparing? 
the funny thing here at Copper is like trading is uh, very intense. And so we want to fuel the body, but we also want to, so to speak, fuel the mind. The morale and comfort is also important. So I'm cooking a variety of things that are familiar to them, but also pushing them to try new things. Uh, today, we just made uh, poke bowls uh, with uh, tuna fish and lots of veggies, uh, seasoned rice, uh, sushi rice, and, and try to make it really festive, even though it's really cold and snowing outside but also doing home favorites like meatloaf and uh, prime rib and things like that for the, the high protein needs here as well. So runs the whole gamut. And how would it differ from say, you know, you're cooking for the team during at, in the athlete village at the Olympics in South Korea. What, what are some of the ways that you vary versus a training session there in copper? You're there for several weeks. It's much, probably much more intensive athletes are out every day versus ramping up for one big day in an Olympic scenario. Yeah, yeah. So th- when you think about the Olympics or a really race scenario, hopefully the preparation has already happened beforehand. So you train really hard so the day of competition is easy is uh, one of those uh, kind of cliche sayings. So day of competition is actually not as much food. You want enough food to fuel for performance, but when you're training, you're really putting the uh, your body through the ringer. And so there, it's really important to make sure snacks are available. You start off with good breakfast, and then you have the solid meals uh, that are there. So there's a lot of different um, areas for timing to make sure that there's a kind of a input of nutrients that are coming in all the time to help recover. So And to be able to, to cope with this kind of harsh environment where at uh, 10,000 feet here at the base, it's I think it's 12,000 feet at the top of the lift. And so that also has some environmental effects that will affect even the highest uh, end um, athlete to any person coming up to altitude. Sure. Riff a little bit on the idea of timing for food. It seems like a lot of what you do is helping athletes make sure that they, you know, take in that food and it's it's converted into energy at just the time they need it. So that there's a there's a window for timing for a lot of these meals, right? Yes, yes. So when you're thinking about what your body does, input, output. So input is the food, output is what you're doing. And so when you're doing something that's very intense or demands a lot of um, energy, the input, you use up that input and you have to replenish that. So the the healing and the adaptations and the uh, recovery doesn't actually happen until you actually finish what you're doing and, and give it uh, give your body the tools it needs to rebuild. So what would be, say we're, you're prepping for training, training starts, they're turning the chair at probably eight bells and your folks are loading up. So you've got breakfast rolling for them at six in the morning, six thirty, seven in the morning. Yeah, yeah. What does and, that look like? And it will be different for each uh, person. Um, some people can have a full meal right before training. Others um, may want something a little lighter that doesn't sit so heavy in their stomach. And so I usually count back from what the activity is. So say you want to go on the lift at 8 o'clock. So something that's half an hour or right before, you can't have something as big of a full meal as if you had two hours in advance and then you can have like a full meal with uh, protein, uh, carbs and fat, like a, a big solid uh, traditional breakfast. The closer you are to your um, actual activity, then the things have to be more easily digested. So maybe you go from uh, eggs and potatoes to um, oatmeal and fruit. And then immediately before, maybe that's where you have a, a gel or a sports drink or something that can be easily digested like applesauce. And those snacks that you were just talking about, the gels and things like that, are you guys big on that? Do you make those yourself or do you use the 
stuff we could buy at the grocery store. Yeah, luckily we have a, a great sponsor that's uh, helping us out with all those kinds of, of um, what I call uh, sports snacks. And and basically the whole role of a sports snacks a snack is to be uh, convenient. So you can carry it in your pocket. You can have it on the hill. Um, it's easy and it has what you would expect in it, – it's a certain amount of calories, a certain amount of uh, carbohydrates, and a certain amount of proteins that you can rely on That that's portable. Uh, it's, yeah, it seems like – Keeping that energy level up is key, especially in these cold weather environments. Riff a little bit about foods that you like at higher elevation and colder temperatures. Are there specific meals or foods that you like to feed athletes if they're going to be, say, you know, up in uh, at the top for a couple hours waiting for their start and, you know, going to need some real high burst energy for a short amount of time? Um what what would be an ideal food for someone who's about to go up to 10,000 feet and hang out for a couple hours? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think of it in almost two different kind of strategies. Are, when is the next time you're going to have a meal? So if it's a long time from when you get on the hill, say your training sessions from 11 till 2, or you're going to be out on the hill from 11 till 2, that goes over lunch. So that means you're going to have to have some slow burning carbohydrates and potentially some fat. And so something like a peanut butter sandwich is basic, but it has carbohydrates from the bread, a little bit of protein in the um, peanut butter, as well as healthy fats that that burn slowly, kind of like a candle as opposed to a blowtorch. Um, So you have that mix of something that's slow. And then if you're going to go out into a a powerful session or something where you're going to make really big turns, then you need that fast burst as well. So hopefully you had a breakfast that has um, that fuel that's already in your muscles ready to go. Or alternatively, you have a sports drink or a gel or something that's fast burning like a fruit, a banana, um, apple juice, orange juice, that kind of type stuff on the hill. Granted, it is a little colder out there. So uh, one thing that has been helpful too is something that's warm. So something like uh, hot apple cider where you maybe even add a little bit of honey in there, that has a lot of carbohydrate. And there's nothing wrong with sugar, especially if you're going to be using it now. And that's what it really uh, comes down to in terms of the role of sports drinks and other things that have lots of carbohydrates in it. Sure, sure. So, you know, the reason we're talking, the reason we we talk with all these luminaries in the ski world is we're hoping folks can find ideas that would help them sort of break through and, and reach that next level of skiing. They're trying to get better. This sport is notorious for leaving us at plateaus for extended periods of time. So the idea here is that we're trying to dig deep and find any sort of tip that can maybe push us uh, push us into the next level. So imagine we're sitting somewhere far away from the mountains and we're planning our vacation and we've got, I don't know, a week or, or a couple weeks to go, but we want to make the most of our seven, 10 days on snow. What would, what would an ideal meal plan look like for, for someone who's planning a, you know, a, an extended trip and they want to, they want to make the most of it. They want to be out there as long as they can. And so they're training, they're going to the gym, they're be, they're as strong as they can be. How can they eat to make their vacation and their ski trip the best they want it to be? Yeah, I'm thinking of this hypothetical person and, and it's it's great that they're preparing their bodies being in the gym. And that that's kind of the same thing that the athletes are doing, like testing out things and seeing where their kind of strengths and weaknesses are. So say you're training and you do an hour long workout and you just don't have that energy towards the end, that should be a warning signal that um, that's probably going to happen if you don't do something different out on the hill. 
So that might mean having a snack in between or having a little bit, bit more carbohydrate during the um, exercise, which would translate into being on the hill, or having something, uh, a breakfast that's a little bit more in calories to allow for um, the training to go all the way great from minute one to minute 60 or, or longer. So seeing where your strengths and uh, weaknesses are in your training can translate to being on the hill. And then uh, for me, I'm always thinking about where are these uh, athletes going to be? And that's the same thing for any uh, person that's going to a ski hill. Is it high elevation? Is the air really dry? Have you gone to that place before? And, and if so, what has happened before? Do you have bad sleep? Um, is the mountain in a, uh, inconvenient to find food? And so how do you solve that? So um, going backwards uh, from, from those kind of uh, problems or issues, you try and solve them. Go to the store, get some snacks plan out a meal. If, if you can look at your Airbnb or wherever you're staying, um, it has if it has a good kitchen or it's near the hill, perhaps that's kind of your home base where you keep your snacks. If it's really far away, maybe you have a knapsack that you can kind of stash somewhere or have a locker where you can just kind of come back to and grab snacks there. Um, does your jacket have pockets where you can keep some snacks that might be good, that won't freeze? So things like nuts, um, some fruit, fruit leathers, um, gels, and that kind of type stuff. It, it's basically, for me, building a what I call an athlete's pantry, whether it's at the condo, in that backpack, at the lodge, or just literally on yourself um, to have those kind of foods uh, there when you need it, if that makes sense. Sure. Building that athlete's pantry, that's key. So say we've just arrived at the airport, we're, we're making a haul up the hill. What would you recommend for, say, the first meals as you're as you're getting your feet under and starting to starting to ski. Do you scale that for athletes too? Do you have sort of a does your meal plan change as they've been training and as they adjust to the altitude and as they adjust to the whatever climate they're at? Do you alter your meal? How does it start and how do you how does it evolve over the course of a stay? Yeah. And so once, well, even going backwards, like the hypothetical scenario where they're on the airport, hopefully that airport flight isn't too stressful. You are having snacks there. And so you're coming in fresh. You know, you, you, you want to make the most of your vacation or your trip out on the ski resort. So hopefully that time you're having some decent sleep. You're not dealing with too much jet lag. And if you are trying to reset that schedule with some uh, carbohydrate that can help you go to bed, um, some things like melatonin to, to get the sleep um, correct. Um, and then moving from there, just setting yourself up with just a, a reasonable balance of um, high-ish carbohydrates, definitely some protein, especially if you're about to um, go out and do something intense. And at higher altitude, uh, your body tends to prefer a little bit more fats. And so if that means adding a little bit more um, olive oil dressing to your salad, um, adding some avocado, nuts, even a glass of whole milk, something like that, uh, a little bit more fat would be helpful at uh, these high alpine places. Sure. And what does the fat do for you at, at alpine? What, how does that help you or at uh, altitude? Yeah, essentially, like when you're at high altitude, um, you tend to – the RPMs, if you want to compare yourself to a car, are higher. Your body is just trying to cope with the um, lower oxygen um, that's high um, that that's um, present at these high altitudes, and what that ultimately turns into is your body tends to shift more towards fat at higher altitudes as well. If you look back at uh, Sherpas in the Himalayas, for example, they tend to eat higher fat diets, and that's a little bit to the adaptation of using more fats as a fuel, a slow burning fuel. 
and supplementing that in the athletic kind of environment with carbohydrate for high burst kind of activity, if that makes sense. So one analogy I give my athletes, especially the younger ones, is think of their energy stores as kind of a fire. And so you have fire that you start out with kindling, which is fast burning, but you also have supplement that with big logs that can burn for a long time as well. So analogy is kind of what's happening. Um, it's what's happening on the hill when you're doing something from Alpine uh, and to a greater degree when you're doing something Nordic like in uh, cross-country skiing in terms of slow, steady um, energy burn. And then when you're trying to really push it, that's when you spike it up and that's where the carbohydrate <laughs> has its place. Sure. And talking about cross-country versus Alpine, how do those two, uh, when you're cooking for those two teams, how, how is your job different? Cooking for the uh, Alp, uh, cooking for the Nordic skiers are very much like cooking for a marathon runner or a, a long distance cyclist. They definitely have to rely on a lot of carbohydrate to allow them to keep a sustained pace for a long time, and that's going to be a little bit different for our um, alpine athletes that really have a lot of muscle to maintain. They need the muscle to power through gates um, as well as keep weight that. This is a gravity sport, and so the more weight that you can carry that's usable to power through the turns, also the faster you can go speeding down uh, that course as well. So that's more of just a maintenance, um, and they train really hard to keep that muscle mass and that weight up, um, and that involves lots of calories um, as well as just that protein to support that kind of infrastructure. Yeah, sure, sure. I've always wondered, you know, some of the maybe younger athletes and they're going to new places and they're they're exploring, you know, they're new experiences in the professional and Olympic level race world, World Cup racing. And every once in a while, they probably just want food they want. And did, do you ever have to just cook them, you know, sort of like that feel good food, the the type of food that maybe will, will help their head more than maybe their body? Maybe it's not the healthiest food. And how can you, you know, if they're like, I really just want, I don't know, fried chicken or, you know, a hamburger and french fries are you able to do that for them and is there a special anything you do that makes it more beneficial for them than say if they you know dashed off to the mcdonald's yeah yeah um it, it being here at copper mountain is a great example of this because the camp is a month long and so it's it's easy to just kind of get in the rut um from the training and the um, constant demands the high altitude possibly poor sleep and the food part is as important in terms of a morale and uh, mental game in terms of, oh, I was really craving some of these foods and I can get them. And, and that part really reaps its own rewards um, as well. So comfort food does have its place. What I try and do here with my dietetics kind of background is to put a little spin and making sure that, of course, um, you can have a hamburger, but then you can also supplement that with instead of like deep fried French fries, we have uh, oven fries, for example, that still have the potatoes in there and the carbohydrates, but, you know, a little bit more, uh, not as heavy in terms of being too processed as well. So turning traditional recipes in, uh, on its head and kind of giving it a healthy spin, that's what I'm trying to do here at the camp. And same things that can be done in a condo when you're trying to cook uh, home-cooked meals for the recreational skier too. And that's not hard, right? And it's always surprising to me to see how easy it is to really just make some minor tweaks in how you're preparing food. Give a couple of examples of how it's easy to, you know, just make a, a slight adjustment in the way that you're preparing a meal, you know, in the ski yeah. condo there that, that maybe versus, you know, what you might do at home. 
Yeah, yeah. And so some of these, like I said before, like at, at a pretty harsh environment that's higher in altitude, you will prefer fats. And so fats, your taste buds can taste it. And so I'm trying to replace some of those kind of traditional heavy foods with a lot of uh, uh, cream and uh, heavy uh, oils and whatnot with things that still are substantial. So coconut oil, as well as uh, avocado, nut butters, uh, nuts themselves. And so if I was making a salad on the side, I would have instead of a regular Caesar salad, it'd be a kale, kale Caesar salad, maybe with still with that Caesar dressing, but adding some nuts, some grilled chicken, things like that. And then supplementing that with a main course of, it could be potatoes, it could be uh, rice, it could be quinoa, it could be um, a variety of uh, starches there um, and a good solid protein that is in the salad, but also in the main course. And so for these bigger speed focused uh, alpine athletes, they're just trying to put their plate and making it as dense as possible, but also trying to get the important protein, the important carbohydrate and those healthy fats as the uh, foundation. Yeah, it's really about a balance, it sounds like, right? Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, it's like, I am not the food police. These guys, if they want ice cream, they can totally have ice cream as long as they get that check every other checkbox and making sure, again, the protein, carbs, and fat are already taken care of. Hey, everyone. This is Jason with Next Level Skiing. Hey, so many skis out there. And really, none of them suck. You just can't make bad skis and stay in business these days. But it could take years to find that perfect ride. Hours flipping through the blister gear reviews, all those demos, repeat visits to the rental shop, wasted days, or even arduous season on disagreeable skis. Well, that's where Pete Wagner and his custom-made Wagner skis can help. Wagner and his team have developed a thorough process for finding your perfect ski. They call it skier DNA fitting. Even if you aren't sure what it is you like and dislike, an expert ski designer with Wagner can help you articulate your perfect ski. The right length, width, side cut radius, tip and tail shape, camber, rocker, material, stiffness, flex pattern, and of course graphics. Fully guaranteed, sculpted just for you, and precision crafted in Telluride, Colorado. I got my first pair of Wagner skis a year ago, and I'm here to tell you, believe the hype around a custom ride. Just the right stiffness in the not-too-rounded tail, just enough softness in that ready-to-float tip, perfect length, and a touch of side cut that bites hard when angled through the mank. It is my perfect ski. It takes about three weeks from that first interview to the happiest, happiest of days when the Wagner box lands on your porch. Seriously, is there any better day than new ski day? So click over to wagnerskis.com slash next level and find your next level with a pair of just for you Wagner skis. So in your career serving these athletes, have you run across a food that we should avoid as we're about to head up and, you know, have some, have some fun on the hill and try to push ourselves? Is there anything that's, I don't know, comes to your mind immediately that <laughs> we should not <laughs> indulge okay. in? Okay, so th yeah, this is <laughs> treading on thin ice here, but at high altitude, and really just for athletes in general, alcohol is something to, you know, it's going to have its place. You know, après ski is so important in the um, kind of culture of skiing, but alcohol can really kind of derail kind of athletic goals and really kind of impede that kind of recovery process. And so that is probably the biggest thing. And it can be done responsibly as long as you kind of know what it's doing to your body. So what happens at high altitude, you're already in thin air, the air is really dry. And so it's really easy to be dehydrated. And so we can cover hydration by itself in a 
uh, in a couple minutes. But alcohol also dehydrates you too. You can notice how many times you go to the restroom after you uh, drinking a couple beers or a glass of wine, etc. And that's just water that's leaving your body and you're already dehydrated. And so if you can address that by making sure that you're already hydrated using uh, electrolyte powders, um, drinking water while you're drinking alcohol, you'll probably stem most of the uh, harmful effects of uh, that on a hill. That's good. How about any foods that you've run across that we should avoid? I think for the most part, I think you can go two ways. You can either go too light and have simply just a salad because you want to keep things light, but that might not be enough calories to give you energy to be on a hill. Or you can go the other end where um, everything's deep fried. It's very easy at the pubs that are in the lodges in many ski resorts. And then that's kind of too heavy and maybe emphasizing too much of the um, fats and carbs and not having the protein to kind of rebuild those muscles and keep them from getting too sore too quickly, uh, especially if you're blasting them from uh, a bell to bell day on the hill, just blasting those legs. Sure. And, you know, you spoke a little bit about recovery. Is there, say we're just walking off the hill, we got a few hours before, um, before maybe dinner. And, you know, I've always found that that's a I'm really hungry right then. And I don't want to mm-hmm. spoil dinner if you're going out somewhere, but you want to recover and you want to make sure that your, your body's ready to, you know, go back out the next morning. Is there any kind of post workout, you know, but not necessarily sitting down for a dinner type of food that you would recommend to sort of help us, help us bounce back and, and be ready for the next day? Yeah, yeah. And it, this goes back to that principle of um, the, the window of gains, so to speak. Like You may hear from the popular press that there's half an hour that you need to refuel your muscles after a workout, so to speak. That's kind of what's happening on a ski trip. You're trying to get as much time as you can on the hill from day to day to day to day. And so the recovery process has to be kind of ongoing as soon as you get off the hill. So essentially, that means you need roughly 20 grams of protein and 30 to 40 grams of carbohydrate. An easy food that has all of that is chocolate milk. It has some of the sugars from the chocolate as well as the protein in the milk. And that's an easy kind of go-to uh, for our athletes. If you can't get a hold of milk, you can also make a, a protein shake and add a little bit of sugar, whether it's from the product shake itself or you can add a piece of fruit. Something like um, another food that you can think of is a, a yogurt, a Greek yogurt that has about 15 grams of protein per container, add a little bit of fruit to that or some granola, and then you're kind of making uh, roughly that same ratio as, uh, uh, as well. And one of the biggest hits for our snowboarders is basic just peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or peanut butter and banana sandwiches or their favorite peanut butter and Nutella sandwiches. And same thing there in terms of the carbohydrate in the bread, a little bit of protein in the peanut butter, healthy fats in there. And that's a great snack to just kind of jumpstart that um, recovery process. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, because there's it's important, right, as soon as you come off the hill to not just go directly into the beers, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if you want day one and day two to be okay and then day three and day four kind of trail off, what I'm trying to do for our athletes and the same kind of moral goes to our um, recreational skiers is like if you want day – Five, day six, day seven to be as good as day one. You just have to have that those uh, that recovery be kind of priority, and you can still have fun too. But you know, making sure you check off that checkbox, you'll probably get the most out of it. Yeah, it's important. You know, if you're gonna, we tend to forget about day six and seven when it is day one and two because we're so excited, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's right. And and because skiing is so variable, like what if six and seven is a powder day, and you want your legs to be as fresh as possible? Think of it that way, and then it becomes pretty obvious to take care of your body. So six and seven are like the best days ever. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. It's important to at least keep that in your mind and not go crazy on uh, night two and three and mm-hmm. blow out the rest of your holiday. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and if you're coming to a place like um, Copper or Tahoe where it's it's pretty high up, um, um, the sleep is important the first couple of days until your body adjusts. And so after you know three or four three or four days, and then uh, your body adjusts, and maybe you could let loose a little bit uh, more. So it's really that first kind of arrival where your body's in shock so to speak, uh, to really kind of dial things in. And then once you adjust and kind of get, uh, feel a little bit at home and how your body's responding, have a little more leeway. Sure. Sure. Now, you know, most of us, when we travel to ski, we're going by plenty of very well-stocked grocery stores, especially here in the United States. Um, but you travel to all sorts of remote, remote corners. Talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges of finding the foods that you want, um, preparing them in, in strange kitchens. We were talking earlier about how the TSA folks have probably know you well with what you have to haul through to airport security every time you go on a trip to be able to feed an army of athletes with all the tools and powders and mixes and whatnot that you need to keep those guys performing. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the athletes have their specific things that they like, and you want to bring those things so they can trust those things because they know how how it works with their body, as well as kind of avoiding things that might be you know out of their routine. And if they're really in a um, important race, they don't want to introduce anything new on race day, especially if it's high stakes. Um, and so some of the challenges of going overseas, you, I don't speak um, fluent German, French, or Italian, but when I'm in Switzerland, for example. Everything is labeled in those and not in English, so I have to kind of speak a different language there. Hopefully, relying on things that um, end up being like maybe this is peanut butter. Hopefully, it is, and if it's not, then I would just do that. And and also making um, homemade foods overseas in a foreign environment. Like if I'm trying to make Mexican food and in Germany, it's not that uh, uh, common, so I have to maybe bring my own spices so I can make that. Uh, tacos uh, taste like tacos as opposed to mishmash of foreign spices. And, you know, we hear every once in a while in, in like, a, I don't know, a drugging scenario, someone, uh, their test didn't go well, and they say, I got some meat with this or some food with that. Do you guys have like, do you actually test food or, or is there a way to make sure that the food you're getting isn't going to be, you know, cause these guys trouble down the road when they when they have to, you know, have their urine tested or something like that? Yeah, yeah. For, for the most part, we try and buy things that are organic because I think that standard throughout the world is pretty uh, clear in terms of how the animals are fed and, and what's going in and the quality of the stuff that um, is coming out of it. So we started with that and fresh produce and whatnot is going to be generally the same uh, around the world. What is actually more um, important for me is to make sure that things are safe. So is the water good? Um, if I'm in Kazakhstan, is the meat um, at a high quality there as well? And so not trying to get them to fail their uh, drug test is, is definitely on my mind, but just getting them um, not to get uh, E. coli or some sort of uh, uh, stomach sickness is probably the highest uh, priority there. Oh, sure. Yeah, that, especially when you're you know, shopping in local farmers markets and in some of these uh, more remote corners. I bet that can be interesting, but yeah, you're carrying water a quality. little bit of added responsibility there from having to feed, you know, high performing athletes at the same time. It's not just your yeah, the worst thing that could not happen just cooking is for yourself. Just get, yeah, just getting food poisoning on race day would be the worst thing in the world. And so 
I've heard that's actually what happened before my time in the Torino uh, 2006 oh, wow. Olympics. And that's what created my job as the chef and dietitian to make sure that the food is safe, nutritious, healthy, and tastes good. And it must be comforting for those athletes to look across the uh, kitchen there and see their trusted friend, Alan, churning out their favorite food instead of, uh, I don't know, oh, oh, yeah. a, a random random chef in, a, in an athlete village or something. Yeah, yeah. It's surprising how much schnitzel is served in Germany and Austria and how old that gets quickly and how something like just cooking uh, carne asada tacos will just light up someone's face after being on the road in uh, Europe for like two months um, and not having any guacamole, for example. So stuff like that is pretty cool. And that's the other side of comfort, too, in terms of not just heavy foods, but just familiar foods that they can trust and, and um, flavors that they, they learn to miss after weeks on the road. So that's the third time you've mentioned avocados. Is that your secret go-to right there? It, I think it's a crowd pleaser that, that now that uh, avocado toast has become a breakfast item, like you can have it for breakfast, you can have it for lunch, you can have it for dinner, even a snack sometimes. It's a pretty good go-to um, there, and, and I think everyone seems to like it. And I'm really, at the end of the day, as a chef, that's what I'm trying to do, cook food that people actually eat. I've gone the far end and cooked really hot cuisine fancy stuff and the skiers just want good solid food done right so yeah i think most people really do yeah so hey we ask everybody this is there a piece of advice you've collected over your years either in the kitchen or working with these high level athletes that still resonates something that you tell yourself every day either as you're cooking or as you're skiing yourself something that uh, helps you kind of keep on top of your game a single you know piece of advice that has lasted all these years? Yeah, I think melding the chef and then sports nutrition together into something that's pun intended uh, digestible for athletes. You can go way on the end of uh, sports nutrition in terms of like breaking down into carbs, uh, fat and protein. But at the end of the day, you don't eat those individual nutrients, you eat real food. And so I think as long as you stick to Real food that has a balance between those different things, some sort of starch, some sort of protein, and some healthy fats and veggies uh, in there, then you're probably going to get 80% of the benefits. And cooking real food with real ingredients is, is probably the most um, key advice I can give to anyone. Yeah, real food, real, ingre real food, real ingredients, and being careful about the way you're preparing them and focusing on that balance, right? That, that mix of carbohydrates, protein, and fats, and making sure that you never lean one one way too far, right? Yeah, that's that's completely uh, correct. And when these uh, kind of fat diets come in and out of vogue, um, at the end of the day, like I can work with those different um, diets. I just need to make sure that I'm, you know, even if you're gluten free, you still need to have some sort of carbohydrate in there. It just might not have gluten in it. Or if you're vegetarian, you still need protein and iron sources. You just need to find it in, in a uh, vegetarian kind of uh, uh, fashion. So. Yeah, it can all be worked out as long as you use real food. Yeah, that's awesome. Are you a fan of those, the powder drinks? Like, would you always, if you're going to have, you know, some, some sort of beverages and stuff, are you a big fan of having a powder that you put in your water that you carry in, in your thing? Or is water just enough? I think it's a time and place thing. It's really funny because when we've gone to Portillo, which is a, also a Portillo Chile, and it's 10,000 feet just like uh, copper, and we did urine testing. Oh, people could uh, so hard to just uh, stay hydrated, just water. So we brought in like the electrolyte stuff, uh, Pedialyte, as well as this kind of scratch labs makes a high uh, yeah. a wellness 
what they use for oral rehydration stuff, we used it as just a, every time you drink water, drink that. And that brought them right back up. So if you're at a high altitude place, we have it out and everyone's just slamming that stuff. But if you're at sea level or, you know, just home base, then maybe you don't need it. So it's kind of a time and place kind of scenario. Well, and this has been very, very interesting. And I'm hoping that uh, once everybody listens, we can all find ways that we can help improve our skin and take our performance up a notch or two. Um, and for sure, I feel really good that United States Olympic athletes or the winter athletes, at least, are very well equipped with you behind the line, churning out their energy and making that, their food for them. I, I think we're uh, those athletes are lucky. Yeah, yeah. They tell me all the time that even though they have like special requests and whatnot, they always come out with a smile. And that's probably one of the perks of the job to see them time and time again and kind of get to know their preferences and really give them what they want and what they need to as athletes. That's so cool. What a rewarding gig. Yeah, thanks so much. Alan, thank you. Alan Tram with the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team, head dietitian, or chief dietitian and head chef. Um, Alan, thank you so much. It's been super, super interesting. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. 